Lord God, in the, uh, the hearing of your word. Might we know Jesus Christ to be sacred king and sacred friend. And may we be empowered uh, to serve him as our Lord. Amen. Do you please sit. And even though the children um, have left, um, I'd like to begin with a game. Um, Let's play uh, that game where I say a word and you have a a word that comes into your mind. I'm not going to ask immediately for responses, so um, uh, here's here's a word. Um, Window. Uh, Or the word... Uh, fire. Or the word black. Now, I'm actually only interested in that last one. Some of you may have thought of black night, black mole, black velvet. How many of you thought of the word white? Mm -hmm. (laughs) How many of you thought of the word white and then thought, I can't think that because if I say that, that's probably what he wants me to think? (laughs) Yeah, I knew there'd be one. Gotcha. 2 Corinthians is a book which is absolutely stuffed full of contrasts, and it's with those contrasts that we're going to be concerned today. Uh, Last week, we picked up the series, but it was after quite a long break, and so what I want to do just at the beginning is to flick through with you some of the the contrasts. They're just examples. You could find others. But if you, uh, uh, first of all, find where we start today on page 1161... But then flick back uh, to uh, the pages uh, before. Paul's talking of his ministry. Uh, He's talking about what he's delivering, the message he's delivering. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 16, we're on page 1159. I'll wait till the rustle stops. Chapter 2. Verse 16, to the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. A contrast. Same page, chapter 3, verse 6. He's made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. Flick over, chapter 4. Verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Chapter 5, very beginning verse, verse 1. Now we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. Later on in that same chapter, verse 17, the old has gone, the new has come. If you'd said black to Paul, he'd have said white. So you're in good company if that's what you said. 
Paul is thinking throughout this letter in terms of contrasts. And why is that? Because, this is the bit to get back into our minds if we've forgotten it about Corinth. He is dealing with a church in which there are people who say you don't have to have those contrasts. You can actually keep everything together. You can keep everything in the same kind of basket. You don't have to live out those contrasts. So just to revisit them, they would have been saying, we don't need to think about death. We've got life. They would have been saying, why are you making a contrast between letter and the spirit? We've got the letter. We're good Jewish people. And we, we are blessed in knowing the spirit. They would have said about St. Paul, here you've got this um, message about the glory of God and, and how shiny and sort of treasury everything is, but look at you. No, we, we've got a glorious message and look how glorious we are. There were uh, false teachers in Corinth and that was part of the message that they were saying. Uh, we've, got a, 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 we've got a treasure-ish sort of message and we're treasure-ish sort of people. Uh, chapter 5, the beginning uh, verse there. Uh, we go to the temple of God. That's all we need to know about. That, that gives us all we need. And Paul, throughout this letter, is saying, no, there is a fundamental divide in humankind. And that divide has happened because God has acted in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The event of Jesus Christ is not a a little bit that you can add. And actually the people in Corinth weren't too worried about Jesus. They got the Jewish stuff, they got the law, and they got some experiences that they said, well, that's obviously the Holy Spirit. These are messianic times. Isn't that great? The one thing they did not want to know about Uh, was a Jesus who had been crucified. But Paul says, no. Uh, Let's look at, where should we see it? Yes, uh, verse 17 again of chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, lo, a new creation. That's what he says. A new creation, something comparable to the cosmic startup has begun. That's how fundamental the divide has been. And if you have crossed from being uh, at enmity with God, because of the cross of Jesus, to being at peace with God, if you are reconciled to God through the death of Jesus Christ, then you have an acceptance now, but you also have a home in the future. What you have done, however, is you have brought into your own life this huge divide between those who are reconciled by the death and resurrection of Jesus and those who are not. That's what he's saying to the Corinthians. Now, of course, we can't go into this continuation of the series without asking about ourselves. He's saying it to the Corinthians, but we have to ask it about ourselves. What does chapter 5 mean? have to say to us. What do you think, uh, if I put it this way, what do you think you're doing being here? Are you here because you think you're nicer than you used to be? Well, apart from the fact that in some cases I can say you aren't, and I know I'm not, uh, no, that's far too feeble. 
It's far too pathetic a difference. Are you here because you think you're better than you used to be? Well, you might be. But that's far too proud a difference to claim. If we go back into chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says, he, Jesus, died for all. That, now we're jumping the divide, that, those who live, it's you and me as well as the Corinthians, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We should no longer live for ourselves, and other the contrasts, but for him. So in this week, when Norwich has been of some significance in the national news, it seems to make sense to say, let's divide ourselves uh, uh, for the purposes of, of looking at what Paul has to say. And entitle, uh, the title over the whole thing is simply, Do Different. That Norwich motto, Do Different. First of all, I want to look at five gaps that Paul draws our attention to. They are there at the beginning of our reading, from uh, verse 14. Do not be yoked together, he says, with unbelievers. Now here come the five gaps, the five contrasts. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? That's the second one. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Third. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Four. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Now, the key one is that last one, because it tells us about the world of which he is thinking, especially because it goes on to say, for we are the temple of the living God. He's talking to a church in which there are people who think that you can be part of this uh, uh, religious world that is um, uh, Jewish, uh, pro-spirit, as it were, but also go off to the Greek temples. Now, in a way, that may not sound too difficult for us. After all, what was actually wrong with the Greek temples? Well, quite a lot. For a start, they had animal sacrifices in which the sacrifices were animal, were, the animals were sacrificed to different gods than the one true God. So if you ate that food afterwards, you would know it had been consecrated to another god. Plus, as you probably know, the temple life was wrapped up with all kinds of dodgy uh, stuff around sex. And Paul is fundamentally saying to those in Corinth, leave off trying to do both, trying to walk with a foot in this camp and a a foot over here. If you actually leave that off, you will realize that what you're trying to do spiritually doesn't work. You're going to have to come to a decision about the fundamental claim here of Jesus Christ, which has been my own message. So when we look at ourselves, of course that means it's not, you know, I, I, I don't know, someone may have been on holiday, anyone been to a Greek temple this week? Anyone been involved in animal sacrifices this week? Anyone got involved in dodge? Oh, never mind. Um, (laughs) He is summoning us, uh, uh, talking to us about all those places where we might get mixed up with an unbelieving world. 
mixed up with. Now, I'm, uh, I thought of a really good illustration, but I'm, uh, I never even got O-level chemistry, so I'm, I'm not very good at, at, at making it happen in front of your eyes. If I take um, a glass of water, which I haven't got in front of me, th- I was thinking there'll be one at the lectern, but there isn't because I don't have a lectern. Um, and I stick some mud in there, and I mix it round. Then if I remember rightly from my chemistry lessons, that's a mixture. And eventually, the mud will uh, separate out again, even though it looks pretty mixed in. But uh, I, I can take out the, the, the mud eventually and separate out the water. But without doing anything particularly fancy, I won't be able to get the hydrogen and the oxygen to separate from the water itself. And if I remember rightly, that's the difference between a mixture, where things are mixed in, but you can separate them, and a compound, where they're mixed together and you can't. Is that right? Thank you. But that is the, is the problem he's dealing with. There are people in, in Corinth who are not just getting mixed in, they're getting compounded with the world around them. Some of you will have been brought up in a world where, if you're in a Christian family, you were told you may not go to the dance hall. You may not go to the cinema. These things are bad, and you will face temptations if you do those things. And we think that we've got beyond that, that that world is kind of quaint and not very realistic. But if you want to be realistic, then look at the statistics about underage sex between uh, youngsters who belong to a Christian church and those who don't. They're actually alarmingly alike. At least they were the last time I looked. Those rules are perhaps not as quaint and unrealistic as we thought. Nonetheless, That's not the fundamental point that Paul is making. He is happy, just as Jesus was happy. He wants us to be mixed in with the world. He does not want us to be like the Pharisees that Jesus criticized, just keeping their distance so thoroughly that the world never knew any good news. He wants us to be mixed in. He he talks about unbelievers coming into church. He wants unbelievers to be uh, amongst the worshipping gathering of God's people. He wants us, he specifically says, to associate with the sexually immoral and the greedy. Does not want us to be compounded, though. He does not want us to be uh, yoked. That's his language. He insists on the gaps. And historically, the biggest a way that this passage has made a difference to the Christian church has been around the issue of, ma- of marriage. And there are times when pastors have to say things that are tough, things we wouldn't choose to say. And I know this goes home for some of you. This is about where you are, or it's about where someone that you love is in your family. But why would you choose to marry someone whose ultimate loyalty and whose ultimate destination is at the moment going to be different from yours? Of course, the reality is that we hope when we do that that there will be a change and that it may be that now, but it won't be that in time to come. And of course, that can happen. Um, 
I think if I remember rightly, they say that women marry in the hope of changing the man. And the man is afraid that she's probably right. It may happen. It may happen. It might work. But think of the children. What message are they going to pick up when they encounter, in reading St. Paul, maybe when they're teenagers, who knows, earlier, when they encounter don't be yoked together with unbelievers and they know that one of you didn't put that first. Paul is not talking, and there are other times when he specifically talks about the situation where there are two unbelievers who are married, one of them becomes a believer, and he says, you stay with the marriage. Marriage is absolutely key in the purposes of God. But I know, because it's happened to me and to any pastor, I know those pastor moments when the grieving Christian widow says to me, I don't know where he is right now. And I've got no words of comfort to offer. It is tough. I know it's tough. And some of you are living out the toughness. So I, uh, there are conversations that may have to happen well outside this room. But let me say this also. One of the reasons that so many women face that challenge is because us men have done a rubbish job of evangelizing other Christian men. So hats off to those guys who, who are down on Jenny Lind on Thursdays, working with uh, boys from the parish, some of whom have come into our teams uh, since we started working down on the Jenny Lind. And hats off to them and to others who have this real care that there should be a generation of boys for the girls to marry. So if you're a, a man with a daughter, as I am, think on that. But of course, it's not just marriage. It's, it's any time when we're tempted to have a foot in two camps. Freemasonry, stop it. Business, partnerships. Be very careful of the values of any formal partnership you enter into. This is a world moving towards multiculturalism, towards human rights dogmas, towards all kinds of stuff that's going to be seriously problematic. Have you thought, if you are in a firm, of the Christian witness of the person who said, actually, I'm happy to be a senior employee because I do not want to join a formal partnership? That may have to happen more and more. Don't keep your foot in both camps because you can't. There are five gaps that say you can and you must do different. God will be pleased and the world will notice. But towards the end of the passage, there are not just the five gaps, but three guarantees. Do different five gaps, do different three guarantees. There are three promises that come in those words set out in funny type uh, at the end of chapter 6. Three promises from the days when Israel, God's people, were in exile in Babylon. Jeremiah, who's not one of these, had said quite specifically, mix with the people. Um, pray for them, grow your crops, take part in the life of the city. That's okay, but don't be compounded. And this is the theme that the others pick up here. Isaiah, the first one, says, 
Don't be compounded. On the contrary, come out from them and be separate. It's part of, uh, it's stuck in the middle of bits you would know terribly well from Isaiah about the suffering servant. But that's what's going to happen. I'm going to deliver my people and you are going to come out from exile and be separate. Then comes two things from Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel first, touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. Don't get your worship mixed up. I need you to be loyal only to me. Secondly, those who purify themselves as they come out from exile, I will receive and I will know as my children, my sons and daughters, and I will be their father. All that was in the days of exile. God had acted in those days to rescue his people and to draw them back from Babylon. But now, says Paul, he has acted to, do, to deal with a much greater exile, the exile imposed by sin and death. He has acted for us in the death of Jesus Christ, and we are being pulled out. So why, why, why would you get compounded? In Jesus, by the sacrifice of his blood, you are made pure and holy, so you can say, Our Father, as we shall say later. And then at the very end, in the start of chapter 7, He goes further and says, purify ourselves from everything that contaminates. Have a reverence for God that will make a difference. You will do different. The old word there was fear. Not not a fear and trembling of the anger of a God, but precisely because you know that God to be your father. There is a fear that goes with that, a, a a fear that you might fall and be less than pleasing to one whose sheer goodness blazes across the cosmos. Look at the logic of the gaps between light and darkness that there are, that you know about in your life. Look at the love of God's heart as he guarantees you a place as his son, his daughter, and will be your father. And whatever you need to do, do it, so that you will not be compounded with a world that is fundamentally messed up in its allegiance. Can we pray together? Lord God, there are all kinds of opportunities for us to get mixed in with the world, opportunities for us to get mixed up and compounded with the world. And we ask the wisdom and discernment of your spirit to know how to walk that line so that we're fully committed to the world that you have loved in Jesus Christ, but also fully loyal to our promises to serve him as Lord. And if we need to take those thoughts further because we know that that line has been crossed too many times, we pray that we'd be guided to those who can help. For we ask it in Jesus' name.